0: Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer
1: Hey, if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter two. That's where we're going to be this morning in Ephesians chapter two. You and I, we are a people who is obsessed with the idea of new we like new new stuff excites us you get a new car excited about that. you get a new home even though you got a pack and they got moved you're excited about that we get new shoes we're excited about that we love the idea of new we even take this principle of new like apply it to our house like we enjoy the idea of even renovating things and making them look new and I've always loved like seeing people who have the ability to take old things and make them look new I don't know how you do it right like people can take old cars make them look new they can take old furniture make it look new we take this idea of renovating even move it into our house when Sarah and I bought our home uh we bought this house, and the, uh, both bathrooms had um, hideous wallpaper in it. You know, y'all probably been there too. We found out later on the kitchen even had wallpaper. They just painted over it. We didn't know that until one day the, we saw the paint started peeling off in the kitchen. I said, like, what is this? Wallpaper. Some of y'all smiling like, been there. Have you ever gone to take wallpaper off a wall? It is dumb, Right? And I don't, listen, there is no good way to do it. And so Sarah and I were like, we, we've, got to, we've, got, we've got to fix this. We've got to get this wallpaper off. And I'm like, let's do it. You know, I'm looking on Pinterest, up looking at all these ideas of how to successfully and easily remove this wallpaper. And we got to the point, y'all, I thought, Sarah, let's just leave it as is, and we just want to have people come over. Because this is dumb, and it's taking forever. Of course, my wife did not see my point of view, and so we finished the bathrooms. And before you knew it, wallpaper is down, fresh coat of paint, new mirror, all these things, new flooring eventually too. The bathroom looked completely new because there was a renovation that had taken place. Uh, this morning in our passage, we're gonna see this idea of this new or this old versus this new. This idea of this renovation taking place in our life. You have this old human condition compared to this new life in Christ. We find this, Paul, he's the one who writes this, uh, this letter to the church in Ephesus. And Paul, he is no stranger to this idea of this old human condition compared to this new life in Christ. Paul is the poster child of, if God can save me, he can save you. Like, Paul is that poster child of this We find his origin story in Acts chapter 9. Everyone enjoys a good origin story. And so we get Paul, right at this point in time, he's more known as Saul, right? And so Acts chapter 9, we get this story of Saul and his encounter with Jesus. And and you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. So in Acts chapter 9, we find in verse 1, it says this. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way now the way is what they called Christians the term was not you know really used yet and so they called Christians the way and I'll be honest with you I think that's a, oh, so much cooler of a title right this is the way for all you Mandalorian fans. Whether it meant one person, all right. Whether men or women, we might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I mean, it says in, first, in verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. And he wasn't just breathing out murderous threats, y'all. He followed through with them. Like, Saul was that kind of guy. We find in a few chapters before this, we find this man named Stephen. And he is martyred for his faith. And guess who was there okay with the whole thing and cheering it on saul right saul had this idea that the way of jesus was not good it was against god and so therefore saul thought my job is to rid the earth of these people and he thought he was even doing god a favor in this And as he does this, y'all know the story. He's on his way to Damascus, and Paul has an encounter with Jesus. And when you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes everything, right? Saul has the encounter with Jesus. Y'all know the story. If you don't, it's kind of paraphrased like this. He's on the road to Damascus on his way to find people who belong to the way, to arrest them and put them in prison. And on the way, this bright light shines. Saul then hears the voice of the Lord Paul is left blinded for a couple of days. God sends this man Ananias. Ananias heals him. And what Paul does next, no one would guess. He starts sharing the good news of Jesus. You don't change like that on your own. You don't just wake up one day and go, this is is it, this is the change. That only takes place when you have an encounter with the person of Jesus. And so we share that this morning because when our passage this morning, as we look through it, Paul is going to make, he's going to tag himself into this text. All right, he's going to tag himself in there like, dude, I've been there where you were, where maybe some of you are. But now I'm going to show you who you are now. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1, read through verse 10 if you follow along. starts, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, We too are previously lived among them in our fleshy desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love for, he hath for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us in him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages. Uh, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works that no one can boast. For you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Lord, we pray as, as we dive into this text, we pray, Lord, that you uh, uh, open up our, our hearts and our ears uh, to you, Lord, as we look at this, Old uh, human sinful nature, Lord, and compare it to the life that we now have in in Christ. I want to pray that in doing so, you open us up uh, to uh, your Majesty this morning, Lord. God, we praise you, thank for all things in Christ's name. Pray, Amen. If you were to give this text a a, a big idea outside the word "new," that's kind of the sermon title this morning. this, This idea of new, you would find this one theme: Jesus saves. It's Christianity 101. I mean, it is the one thing we hang our hat on as believers, that there's this idea that, there is, that Jesus, the Son of God, stepped down from heaven onto earth as a baby, lived a sinless life, eventually going to the cross, dying, was buried, and resurrected. And we hang our hats that this resurrected Messiah saves us from our sins. That's the theme, the big idea in which you see, and in that you're going to see these two ideas, this old and new. But as we walk through the text this morning, it's going to break down in three ways. So if you have your pen, I don't have them on the screen, so just, you know, do your best. So it says this. It breaks down in three ways. Uh, The first thing is this. Jesus saves us from a disastrous direction, verses 1 through 3. I'll repeat these in a second. Jesus saves us with spectacular grace, verses 4 through 7. And then Jesus saves us for an unbelievable purpose, verses 8 through 10. I'll say it one more time. Jesus saves us from a disastrous direction, verse 1 through 3. Jesus saves us with spectacular grace, verses 4 through 7. And Jesus saves us for an unbelievable purpose, verses 8 through 10. We're going to see these things and we'll walk through these things in just a minute. But as we see this, we're going to see this idea that Jesus saves. We're going to see this idea of old and new. And matter of fact, in the first three verses, Paul lays out the old. And in the next three verses, he lays out the new, followed by kind of our purpose, right? And so he compares and contrasts the old versus the new. And this is what you're going to find. So I'll say this kind of slow for you guys because well, I didn't put them on the screen. And that way you guys can write these out. Because as we walk through the text, you're going to see these things start to unravel. And we'll see these things through the text. So here's the old versus the new. In verse 1 through 3, we find the old, we are dead. In verses 4 through 6, we find the new, now we are alive. In the old, we were enslaved In the new, now we are enthroned. Old, we were objects of wrath. New, we are objects of grace. Old, we walked among the disobedient. New, now we fellowship with Christ. Old, we were under Satan's dominion. New, now we are in union with Christ. Paul is laying out this old life compared to this new life we had in Christ. But he starts off in these verse three verses by kind of talking about this disastrous direction, and it says in verse one through three, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working the disobedient. We too, that's where Paul kind of." Inserts himself into this light. Listen, guys, me too. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We are by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. This is putting us on a disastrous direction in our sin. We are headed down what we would probably call the wrong way. I had not been 16 long. Uh, I got, I turned 16 in July, because that's my birthday is, so naturally, and then uh, fast forward to basketball season, and it wasn't too uncommon that for, especially uh, home games, we would go and get something to eat before the game starts, right, and so, um, and I'm going to tell myself here, all right, my parents are here, so it's cool, Um, you know, I used to put more people in the vehicle than I probably was supposed to put in my vehicle during this time, but I did it anyways. I was like, well, come on, we're going to drive. And so we go and we get some food before the game and we get ready to leave. And I am 16. I'm a 16-year-old boy, which means I don't pay attention to nothing, right? And we are pulling out. As we leave, I quickly realize I'm on a one-way road going the wrong way. (laughs) And I know that because either I'm going the wrong way or the car I am driving towards is going the wrong way, and I'm pretty sure it's me. Now, thankfully, nothing happened. We were able to avoid ourselves. My mom was looking at me like, no, you didn't, Chad, right? right so we, we avoid each other. We got off, and we got to where we needed my safety. But this disaster direction is a picture of you and I. We are heading down the wrong direction Paul is painting this picture that in our sin, we are headed down a path of destruction. And there's not a thing you and I could do about it. Paul's is painting this picture that in your old lifestyle, for those who are in Christ Jesus, your old lifestyle, you're headed down a disastrous direction. Now, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you are still heading down a disastrous direction. But as you look at this passage, I love when you see the verbiage Paul uses. He does put this in a past kind of context for us. He says, you were dead. You previously walked. For those of us in Christ Jesus, this is no longer who we are. It breaks down like this. Who you were is not who you are, and who you were isn't who you have to be. Like This is what Paul's communicating to us because of Christ's finished work on the cross and our faith in him. We are set free from this deadly lifestyle in which we used to live. But here's the problem for you and I. It's the same problem the church in Ephesus had. They kept wanting to go back to it. They kept wanting to go back to those same things that they were entangled in and enslaved in before Christ. We have that mindset as well a lot of times. We want to keep going back or maybe it's not going back so much as we let those things who we were before Christ we allow those things to define us we allow the, the past mistakes the things that we have done we allow those things to define maybe who we are but what we find in the Bible is you and I don't get to define who we are if we are in Christ Jesus only Jesus can do that and here's the best thing we are to def- by the person of Jesus. And I, I get it. You are probably like this and you don't know what my past has been like. I've done some very stupid and really bad things. And we tend to hold on to that. Or maybe it's even maybe our worry and our anxiety tries to tell us who we are. You're worthless. You're a bad parent. A horrible spouse. We define ourselves by these things. But we find that this is not how Jesus defines us. He didn't define us by those things. We're defined by the person of Jesus. Here's what the Bible tells us we are. You ready? This is the definition we have. Okay, we find here in, in, this, in this passage, we are a workmanship. Some of your translations may say a masterpiece. Like, that's great. The Bible also says that we are more than conquerors. We are light of the world, salt of the earth. That we are a warrior, not a warrior, but a warrior. It says we are free, that we are a saint. So we are hares with him. This is what the Bible defines us as. Those days that we kind of get caught up in, in how we might define ourselves, maybe we recognize, Lord, this is not who I am. This may be who I used to be, but it's not who I have to be, because who I am is now defined by the person in the work of Jesus. We find in verse 3, he, he talks about, we too previously lived among these fleshy desires, carrying out inclinations are of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, this is kind of a scary thought. In our sin, we are under the wrath of God. And that's not a place you want to be. I tell you that that's not where you want to be. Uh, because God's wrath has to be uh, our sin has to be dealt with. Right? And someone has to take that. It's either us or Christ. And there's nothing we can do about it. But we find in the Bible and scriptures that Jesus. When he was on the cross, he took on the full wrath of God. And we took on the full wrath of God, the wrath of God ended up being satisfied in Jesus. And so we know that we, when we are in Christ Jesus, we know that we are no longer under that wrath because th- that has been taken care of, of Jesus. Paul is reminding them of these things. They needed this reminder. You and I, we need this reminder now if we are not in christ jesus we are still very much under that wrath and it's either us or christ christ has already dealt with it for us he has taken that the question becomes what are we going to do with it paul lays out this this image of us being on this disastrous direction if you are a believer in Christ, you are no longer on this disastrous direction. But if you're not, you are very much still on it. But if you are a believer, you are not on this disastrous direction because you have been stayed with the spectacular grace. And Paul, this is where Paul begins to shift the conversation here. He begins to shift from, hey, this is what you used to be. This is the old. Now let's focus on the new because new is so much better than the old. Like new is cool. So let's, let's just shift the conversation here. That's what Paul does. He shifts this d- d- idea from this disastrous direction to spectacular grace. In verse 4 he says this, "But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace." He also raises up with him and seed us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness. To us in Christ Jesus. When a jeweler, jewel, jeweler, jeweler, how do you say that? Jeweler? A jeweler, a jeweler, man. My teacher wife is, uh, I'm going to be doing some phonics when I get home today. So a jeweler, jeweler. Anyways, people who, who work with diamonds, they, uh, when they go to display a diamond, they, what they typically do is, is, they, is they, uh, can, they pair the diamond with this black uh, drop cloth, right? Like a backdrop. Like back and they do this so then when the, the diamond is sitting in front of this dark black, black backdrop, black backdrop, that is tongue twisted. I, I cannot talk this morning, y'all. It makes the diamond shine more brilliantly because it has this dark background. This is what Paul's doing with grace. He displays grace in front of this backdrop of sin, so that this grace may glitter and shine more brilliantly to the church of Ephesus. And he starts with the two, some of the two most powerful words you'll find in Scripture, verse four. But God, that changes it all. He shifts the whole conversation with two words. He talks about your old, your your you're dead in your sin. And then he hits two words that changes everything, but God. There's a pastor who said, he says, it wasn't for that but, I don't know where my butt would be, right? You can take that for whatever you want to take it as, right? But that phrase, but God, it shifts everything for us. 1 through 3, Paul tells us who we are or who we were. Verse 4-7 through seven says, who we are, and you, you are who you are now because of God, because he intervened. When I was uh, a kid, and actually up until last night, I, I've been telling this story wrong, long, apparently, so when I was a kid we would go on the vacations together obviously like most families do and we were in Pigeon Forge Tennessee all my stories are always in Pigeon Forge for a reason I think we we're in Pigeon Forge I've been telling the story there so that's we're gonna go with that and we were in this hotel and we were staying inside uh, a hotel that had this indoor swimming pool and for kids indoor swimming pools are awesome as adults we find them highly gross I'm just gonna be honest right but as kids they're dope you know and I am what you call someone who does and then thinks about the consequences later, right? It's been my MO, right? I will do and I'll think about it later. What do I mean by thinking about it later? I mean, that was dumb. That's usually how that conversation goes. And I don't think, I just do. And in here, I think I see this pool and I don't know how to swim. And I think, I'm gonna jump in jumping in a pool in the deep end and not knowing how to swim is not a good combination. I don't think about this, right? And this is not the first nor the last time I do something dumb, right? Fast forward Pigeon Forge, no Gatlinburg, uh, I don't know, 17, 18 years old, something like that, we're on a youth retreat, retreat, whatever you want to call it, and it is in the middle of January, it's January time sometime, It is like 30 degrees. It is snowing. The pool is iced over. And I think, I ought to jump in that. And y'all, there is some exhilaration when you break ice and go into a pool, right? Here's the cool part. Sarah was on that trip and she said, who's that idiot jumping to the pool? And then she marries the idiot, (laughs) right? So I don't think. And here we are in this pool and I'm thinking, I'm going to jump in. So I jumped straight into the pool, and what I realized is very quickly, I can't swim. And I'm trying to stay afloat, and I, I'm not doing a very good job of that. And it's funny what your mind remembers as a kid, because my mind had this story going completely wrong. Because I was asking my parents, not like, were, were, were we in Pigeon Forge, they couldn't remember either. I think that's where we were. And I was telling the story, and I got the ending wrong, because all my life I've told this story because when I jumped into the pool, all I remember is this woman in the pool. And for all my life, I don't know why, I didn't know her name, but all my life I've only referred to her as Big Mama. Right? No reason, I just called her that because I didn't know her name. So I jump in the pool, I see this woman, all my life i told the story that Big Mama saved me. That's how I've always told the story. It wasn't. It was my dad who jumped in the pool and saved me. Right? <laughs> so I've been telling this story wrong my entire life and not giving him any credit for it. Like I just remember Big Mom. I don't remember. I don't remember anything else, right? I don't even remember my parents being on that vacation. I remember my brother being on vacation. I just remember jumping in the pool and Big Mama being in the pool with me, right? But it was my dad who pulled me out. And this is how you and I picture the gospel a lot of times: that we are drowning in our own sin, waiting for a rescuer to rescue us and pull us out. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible actually teaches that we are actually on the bottom of the pool dead. And it's Jesus who intervenes. This is where Jesus finds us. We are dead. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses. Jesus does a show up on the scene and go, I think you can do it. Just try. Jesus tells us we can't. That's why he said, you can't do it. He's the one who, who breathes left, life into our lungs and brings us out of the pit of death and gives us life. Amen. But God changes everything. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. In this room, we are a like-minded people who believe in the person of Jesus. That's just who we are. We are made alive with Christ, despite you and I being dead in our own sin against a holy God. Here's what we are. In Christ, we are alive. We are objects of grace. We are now fellowshipping with Christ. We are unified with Christ who is over all. You and I are a believing people, and we believe in these things. We align our life with these things. These things should dictate how you and I live our life, and we're gonna to get to that in just a minute. Jesus, he raises up with him, and he has seated us with him in the heavens. That is who we are. That is our identity, that is how we should define ourselves. because how you and I define ourselves, typically might define our purpose. But we find in scripture that yes, we're on this disastrous direction and yes, we are saved by spectacular grace, but Jesus saves us for an unbelievable purpose. Verse 82 through 10 says this, for you're saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This passage, as you can tell, echoes the idea of grace. Paul, in other letters, he echoes the idea of grace. Paul is very much into grace. He echoes that we are saved by grace. But there is a qualifier here in this text. And the qualifier is this, not from works, so no one can boast. And we may ask ourselves, why would there be a qualifier here? Because you and I, everything inside of us, is going to try to qualify our salvation by our own work. That's typically what we try to do. Matter of fact, there's, there's two qualifiers that we kind of see. One is kind of a qualifier of why, and maybe one is more of a disqualifier. The first one is Pride. In pride, we say, well, how good are we? How funny are we? How educated are we? How gifted are we? How we don't do th- th- what this person does or say what that person says. We don't post what this person posts. We are really good at looking at other people's uh, sin and going, at least I don't do that, right? We are so good at it, Right? We, we, we can name other people's sin and be like, oh, well, I may be a sinner, but I'm not doing what they do. I'm not addicted to drugs like Petey over here, right? And we do that. We, can, we, 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 we compare ourselves, and in our pride, we go, well, I'm not as bad as they are, so I'm good to go. In the Bible, we find complete opposite. We are told that we're all just as dead as could be. The other one is shame. Shame tells us that we're not worthy of Jesus. That because of our past life, we can't be saved by Jesus. We tell us these things, but what the Bible teaches is this. That there's no sin that the cross of Christ cannot cover. Whatever shame we hold on to, Jesus says, give it to me. I'm going to show you a life that you could never dream of. A life of living in obedience with me. Pride elevates us as something... Uh, elevates ourselves, and shame is used to disqualify ourselves and return to these things time and time again. But when we put these things to the side and give these two ideas to the Lord, this idea of pride, this idea of shame, we realize that God has saved us for an unbelievable purpose. We find in this text, we find that it says that we are a workmanship. Some of your translations may say a masterpiece, which I think is a cool title, right? A masterpiece now we're going to have different ideas of what we may think a masterpiece looks like usually we think a masterpiece we think of workmanship workmanship you might think of like a woodworker masterpiece you might think of an artist right michelangelo leonardo all the rest of the ninja turtles right like they were these fancy artists when sarah and i were first got married we were gifted this puzzle and it was, this puzzle was it was a collage of photos of sarah and I we were dating uh engage those kind of things it was a very sweet sweet uh gift and we go to put this thing together and we worked at night on this and it took us quite a while to get this done um but we finally finished it and it was this beautiful picture we had put the um puzzle glue on it and put it in a frame we hung it up now i think it's in our closet now to be honest with you but we love this thing. It, to us, this was fantastic. To us, we consider this a masterpiece. But we consider it a masterpiece because look what we had just done. When we look at our life and God calls us a masterpiece, it has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with the finished work of Jesus. It has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he has done. That is why we are a masterpiece. I tell the students all the time, I tell them, Every single one of us has an account, and that account, let's just picture it for a minute, has all your transgressions against the Holy God. It's just, it's just there, right? It's just, there's a long list, right? And if God was look at that, not good. But when we are in Christ, when he pulls up our account, he sees Jesus. We are a masterpiece because of Jesus. We are more than conquerors because of Jesus. We are a warrior because of Jesus. We are salt of the earth. We are light of the world because of Jesus. It is Jesus that we find these things in. But we're not just a workmanship. He says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Created in Christ Jesus for good good works these good works this is basically just the fruit of god saving us god does not save us for you and i to sit in the sideline he saves us then he puts us straight in the game that's what god does when we come to faith in christ we are alive with christ we are partners with christ for the mission of christ we are agents of the kingdom of god and he puts us out into the world to do good work so other people may glorify our Father. Now make most at it, sometimes we, we have these questions of, well, I don't really know what I'm, what I'm really supposed to be doing. I don't know what the plan and purpose is, and I'm going to help you out this morning. Wherever it is that God has you currently in your life, that's it, right? That's it. You want to do good works? Do it there. Mom, dad, we have kids at the house, right? What are we doing here? We are agents of the kingdom of God to our kids. Do we point our kids to Jesus? Do we pray for the salvation? Do we pray they live a life that's good and pleasing to the Lord? Or are we just like, well, here's your tablet and good luck, right? Are, in our workplaces, are we pointing people to the person of Jesus? When our, our exercerative activities, our kids, are pointing people to the person of Jesus? Our family, are we pointing people to the person of Jesus? When he says you are saved for good works, you are saved to let the name of Jesus be known. And that is wherever God has placed you in your life, that's that's it. And our purpose in that is to glorify him, to love God, to love people, and to lift up the name of Jesus. And that's it, right? I tell the students all the time, if if you can get these two principles correct, and we mess them up all the time, but there's mercy, there's grace for that, praise the Lord for that. If you can love God and love people. Everything else falls right where it's supposed to be. Because everything we find in Scripture falls under these two things love God and love people. Amen. If we can do these things right, and we don't often do that right, I know I don't. I put so much ahead. And when I say ahead, y'all, like, we are guilty of saying this first and Jesus here, right? And all of us will sit here and claim, oh, Jesus is number one in my life, but yet when we walk out these doors, our lifestyle doesn't reflect it. If we truly claim that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer, if we truly claim that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, that we claim that he is the number one thing in my life, then let's live like it. Let's do the good works that we are called to do and point people to the person Of Jesus. He says, You are new. You are created. You were, yes, you were lost in your sins. You were lost in your trespasses. You were dead as could be. But Jesus met us where we are. We do not find Jesus. He finds us where we are and He lifts us out. He gives us life and then He gives us purpose. And for some of us this morning, We've been asking ourselves, I don't know what my purpose even is. Well, I get up in the morning, I get my kids to school, I go to work, I come home. I'm with them all day. I go to bed. I wake up the next day. I repeat the process. Right. That's it. Your purpose is found in there. Your purpose is found in Jesus. But he's placed you where you, he has you for a reason. You may point the people around you to the person of Jesus. Sometimes our pride and our shame gets in the way. We think we're good. Our shame tells us otherwise. Our anxiety tells us otherwise. Our anxiety holds us down. Fear holds us back. But Jesus, that's not who you are. If you're in Christ Jesus, that doesn't define you. I define you. That doesn't give you your purpose. I give you your purpose. And within that, this is, what you, this is what I have for you. Now, on the other side of that, if we are not in Christ, we have never placed our faith in Jesus, then we are still on a disastrous direction. We, know no, we, we have not experienced the grace that God offers, and we cannot find our purpose because we are walking away and from the person of Jesus. The, the verse 1 through 3, we talk about the old you haven't left that spot. If you're not listening to Jesus, you are still in the old. But if we are in Jesus, may that may be a reminder that's not who we are. It's not who we have to be. May a reminder that we are in Christ. We are alive in Him. And may we take that seriously in everything that we do. May for some of this morning... We've just been going with emotions. motions. So it's like, you know, listen, listen, I hear what you have to say, but I, I have not been committing my life to Christ like I should. I've been holding on to my old lifestyle, those sins in which I have been entangled in. I've let them define me for so long. May this morning, may you be reminded and encouraged that that is not who you are. And this morning, hand that over to the Lord. Maybe this morning you're like, you know what? I don't know this Jesus guy. Man, I would love in just a few minutes to share the gospel with Jesus with you and show you what it looks like to have this life in Christ. Maybe someone's like, listen, may we allow God to examine ourselves because we sit here this morning and say, listen, I have a relationship with Jesus. And we can claim a relationship with Jesus, but yet there's no fruit in our life that shows that. May we check ourselves and, Lord, show me what it is that, do I even have relationship with you? Am I struggling? What is going on here? Let me just give that to the Lord and allow him just to take our life and make it new, right? He met Paul and he wrecked him. Many of us have the same story. He met us and he wrecked us and we were changed forever. May that be us this morning, just be wrecked by the encounter we have with Jesus. Say, Lord, I don't want to be defined by these things. I don't want to be controlled by these things anymore. This is not who I am. Who I am is found in you. May this morning we give everything to Him. or Whatever it is that the Lord is laying on your heart, whatever He is doing in your life, may this time of invitation, may we take time to pray and seek Him and what it is that He has for us this morning. May this morning you're thinking, you know what, it would be a great day to join the church. I'll be down here. We would love to have you be a part of our family here at Harvest Baptist Church.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest_HBC. underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltriana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.